You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. How concerned should everybody be about Josh Allen and the Bills? Let's ask an expert, Charles McDonald, joining us from Yahoo, Yahoo NFL writer. Follow him on Twitter, at 4Verts, one of my favorite followers out there. Charles, appreciate your time. Your level of concern from, like, you know, one lump, lump of coal in the stocking to, like, ten lumps of coal in the stocking for Josh Allen and the Bills would be... Feel free to use Thanksgiving uh, analogies too if you feel like that's more appropriate. I mean, in Thanksgiving's November. halftime of the Christmas well, season, but well, that's okay. It's okay. You know, it, it's the Christmas season. You know, I'm, I'm about to go irresponsibly spend some money, take uh, advantage of some of these deals. So I think I'll, I'll stick with a Christmas uh, analogy Thank here. You. Uh, I, I think it's one lump of coal, man. Like, if, okay, so if you go back and watch the, the some of the interceptions that he's thrown, it. <laughs> They're just kind of like just bozo weird mistakes that he's making. Like I, like, I think mistakes for the most part that he's kind of erased from his game over the past few years. So, you know, I, I think when you look at Josh Allen, it, even with the interceptions over the past couple of weeks and some of the, the, the dumb plays, you're still in a situation where the bad or where the good so overwhelmingly outweighs the bad that you, you, you kind of just got to take your lumps with it. I, I think nothing's really changed for me about how I feel about the Bills and Josh Allen. Like, they, they needed – to, to fumble a snap on a kneel down pretty much for the Vikings to have a chance to win that game. Uh, kind of a freak accident. They had a loss against Jacksonville that was really bad last year, and they still went to Kansas City and put up one of the best games we've ever seen uh, from uh, really any two quarterbacks in the playoffs. So I, I don't think it's, it's quite time to hit the panic button on Buffalo just yet. A lot of folks from Minneapolis a little frustrated with me. Uh, talking about the Viking strength of schedule. Their only winning team that they had beaten was the Dolphins without Tua. They can add now the, the, the Bills, and that's a good win. What do you think about the Vikings, and do you think they're real contenders or just have had some success against not very good teams? Uh, I think they've, they've, they're a team that's gotten kind of like – I don't know if lucky is the right word because I hate like assigning luck to some of – like the, the work that these guys do. But at the same time, you know, you need this replay to get past uh, Buffalo. And you know, when, you, when you look at their schedule, what they're doing is they're kind of living and dying in one-score games. Uh, they've won seven straight one-score games this season. Usually when you look at, you know, over the course of an NFL season, most of those games tend to be coin flips for, for teams. You know, the, I think over time, they kind of average out to be about a 50% win rate, which makes sense because you're talking about, games that come down to a couple plays, but uh, they're winning. I don't, I don't think it really means much for their sustainability when it comes to the postseason, but at the same time, like, they do have a, a, a rare combination of, like, elite talent at critical spots that are uh, allowing them to, you know, get past teams in these moments. We're talking to Charles McDonald, Yahoo NFL writer on Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Jerry Jones says Dak is the strength of the Cowboys, chances to win a Super Bowl. But he also said that this team runs through Zeke about a month ago. Uh, what is the path for the Cowboys to actually win a Super Bowl? Look, they were scoring like 15 points a game when, when Zeke was in there and Cooper Rush was the quarterback. And now they're back to scoring like 30 a game with, with Dak as their quarterback. It, it's Dak. Uh, it, it's not only Dak, but it's just like the strength of what they can do for the pass and against the pass. Uh, altogether, like I think Dak had a you know a fine game 
uh, on Sunday when you look at the tally of it. But when you look on the flip side for the Cowboys defense, there's, you know, a couple of big chunk plays through the air that they definitely would have liked to have back and probably would have uh, ended up changing the course of that game. Like, I left that game honestly still feeling like the, the Cowboys were a good deal better than the Packers. Uh, but, you know, Dallas, they found, or excuse me, Green Bay, they found a way to neutralize Mark, Michael Parsons for the most part of the game. And then you have a couple of big plays from uh, Christian Watson that end up being the difference. I just, I think when you look at Dallas, that's a bad one to lose just because they're, they're a better team than the Packers. But if they're going to get to where they need to be, it's going to be on the strength of Dak Prescott and really how well they can defend the pass. We're talking to Charles McDonald, Yahoo NFL writer. You can follow him at Verts, uh, at Four Verts, I should say, on Twitter. Uh, what did we learn from the Eagles game? Is there any sort of uh, lesson in how to beat them? Is there any sort of uh, message about them not being as good as we thought, or just a bad uh, game for I, Philly? I think they're still like an elite team, uh, but what, what, what Washington did show is that uh, they were able to. Uh, Washington did show. Sorry, there's a long one on the back. Hey, uh, like, we, are, are you okay, good. Charles? Number one, are you? Yeah, are you yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Uh, but what they showed is that there's uh, a real Keely Fields' Eagle defense, and that's run defense. I mean, even when they didn't have, uh, even when they had, excuse me, Jordan uh, Davis in the lineup, they were still below average run defense, and without them, they basically totally fallen apart, which is why they had to sign. Uh, Lindell Joseph today, who has been just kind of, I guess, doing nothing for the past few months because he's been a free agent. But uh, that's that's the plan. Like, if you can get them into a situation where you can run the ball 50 times a game and they're running five plays in the second quarter and they're barely touching the ball, I think that's, that's a blueprint for being any team. But when you look at the, what's specifically wrong with the Eagles, it's the fact that they uh, they can't stop the run. We're talking to Charles McDonald, Yahoo NFL writer. Uh, Charles, uh, NFC West, uh, who wins it by the end of the year? Uh, 49ers. I, I, I think the 49ers, as bad as their record looks right now, should still be considered uh, contenders for the Super Bowl and the NFC. Um, hmm. They still have one of the best rosters in the league. They're still uh, one of these teams that can kind of go to toe with anyone in terms of elite talent. And uh, they still have one of the best coaches in the league. I think they had some unfortunate slip-ups earlier in the year. But when you look at really what they've done on a play-per-play basis, excuse me, I think they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Charles McDonald with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Any takeaways from that Packers win? Is there a chance that this team turns things around here? Um, I mean, I I guess the takeaway is that if Christian Watson is going to be someone that can, like, catch passes now, then – that makes a big difference for you, right? Uh, but in terms of <laughs> if, he, wow. if he's not going to be that guy, another alarm. It's <laughs> a different alarm for a different emergency. Are you, are you good? Do, do you like just cough twice if you're robbing a bank? That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> no, but, no, going back to the Packers, I think the real big thing for them is that they were able to. Um, uh, they get some big plays from Christian Watson on the back end, and that's what they have been waiting for really all season. Remember the first pass of the year uh, from Aaron Rodgers to Watson? He dropped it on a deep pass against the Vikings, and their offensive struggles really haven't subsided since. But they were able to hit, take a, a, a couple big shots this week, which I think has been the missing part of their game. Uh, you know, they haven't been able to get the deep shots going. It's been really, you know, stuck in this sort of intermediate uh, area of the field on offense, and you've kind of seen it in the record. 
All right, follow him on Twitter at Four Verts. Charles, we're both up late, so if you need somebody to bail you out, like, like just just hit us up. We got you back, man. We appreciate you hanging out with us. <laughs> no, I know you guys are good for you guys got more money than I do. Uh, that's right. No, go to Sarah for that. Like she's she's got a billionaire. That that's the way that works. Uh, uh, Sarah's the richest one on the show, right? On the internet. On the internet. Internet billionaires <laughs> aren't real. Internet. Come on, uh, Charles. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can tweet us, by the way, on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Is he robbing a bank? I think he's robbing a bank, right? Like, yeah. so that was my, my big... Chances are. Yeah, there was a good SNL skit on Be Real, uh, you know, about <laughs> yeah, robbing a bank. so good. Yeah, I, that's what I feel like. We're going to see a Be Real or Charles, and he's taking a bank down. Uh, great work by him, though, at Four Verts. Also great work by the staff getting the uh, the alarms in the background. All right, Charles Barkley had massive criticism for one of the biggest stars in the NBA. We'll let you hear it next to tell you what we think. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. A lot of Taylor Swift fans trying to shake off their experiences today as they try and figure out how to actually get tickets. We'll get into that later in the show. But right now, we got an NBA starter trying to shake off comments from Charles Barkley about his game. And it's interesting because the Memphis Grizzlies are a team that coming into the season, we're getting a lot of love, Sarah. And uh, obviously, there were high expectations, especially when you watch the way that Ja plays. And over the first few games, particularly, you see how well it's going. You suddenly think, okay, this is going to be great. But... During halftime of their TNT broadcast of the Grizzlies' loss to the Pelicans, uh, Charles Barkley had some criticism for John Morant. He said Morant does not make his teammates better, saying, quote, the next evolution for Jaws, he's got to make the players around him better. So I thought those were uh, those were staggeringly harsh words for a superstar that, frankly, so far has been sort of Teflon. There hasn't been much to say about it one way or the other. Yeah, I think you're going to get to the point as a superstar where – Having incredible highlight plays, being a dynamic scorer, helping a, a team evolve into contenders and playoff-bound team uh, isn't going to be enough, right? There's going to be a next step. And so that part of it I sort of understand if that's what Chuck's looking at is, you know, we need to see this team take the next step. I just don't think this is the right criticism for that. The only thing that would make sense is potentially the idea that when he has big games, 36-plus points, the team is 500, uh, both across the history of the, of the team with him there and in the season. So maybe it's that they depend on him too much, but with Jaron Jackson Jr. out, you've got a whole lot of guys that are not household names, a whole lot of guys that he does make better. In fact, in an interview just a couple weeks ago talking about the Grizzlies and their success um, that was in the New York Times, uh, there were multiple reserves saying, you know, as I play more minutes with them, he knows my tendencies. He knows what I like to do. He knows how to talk to me to make me be better. Uh, he knows how to give me the ball in the right place. So they're saying quite the opposite of what, what Chuck did. Um, and I wonder if Chuck is maybe thinking to some other iterations of teams with a superstar who's young like this, whether that's himself with the Sixers, whether that's Jordan, where the big step for the team came with a full buy-in. 
I don't think there's any reason to believe Ja doesn't have that, but it might be more about how he's used than what he does to others on the team. Yeah, and and this is where I'll be a bit of a sort of a bit of a stats weenie, and, and you know maybe nobody cares, but uh, I'm looking right now on ESPN.com and Tyus Jones, for example, uh, he's averaging four points more per game this year than he usually is in his career. Dylan Brooks is up about two points. Desmond Bain is up ten points. Uh, compared and you made the point that that Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't been in. It's not a lot of talent around him. Uh, can, considering, uh, I, I don't want to say they're not talented players, but they're, this is not a roster of all stars. So I'm kind of with you. Like I think Jaw has been doing that, but at the same time, you know, I understand that Barkley has a different lens. Uh, for full context, here's the the full comment that he had to say of what he wanted to see from Jaw. Uh, so I, I think that does. You make a really good point, sir. His background and what Charles has seen over the years of superstars just taking over because that's their instinct is probably part of where this critique comes from or this criticism comes from. Uh, But I'm not sure that that the numbers really bear that out in my mind. I'm not sure what else we would be asking. If he's getting everybody else involved, are they winning more games right now? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it just might not be a roster that's able to compete with some of the best. Um, My guy, Chuck. I love Chuck. And sometimes he's spot on. Maybe this time you know, didn't have the stats and, and the facts to back it up, just had maybe some anecdotal moments that he recognized and didn't realize. Yeah, well, and I, that's going to happen in this process, but it does raise the question of what makes a team great because the roster construction for Memphis is going to be something we're going to analyze a lot this year. We're also going to analyze the roster construction of the Nets always, constantly. They are the great soap opera that keeps giving. Uh, and obviously, Kevin Durant has made the news with his comments. Uh, this was the quote. Look at our starting lineup, Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Claxton, and me. It's not disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group, Durant said. He expects us, expect us to win because I'm out there. So if you're watching him, watching from that lens, you're expecting us to play well because number seven is out there. Harsh words, maybe real words, uh, maybe an honest moment. For KD, but it does raise a question of what to do next now if you're the Nets, Sarah. Michael Wilbon, host of PTI, said on NBA Today, uh, this is what the Nets should be doing. Look, how often are we going to wait for them to win five out of six and get on a roll and start to justify the existence of that personnel? How long? Well, Perkins, Perkins, Jalen were right. It's time to, to, to probably give up on that. That means Sean Marks needs to at least consider. When, when Kevin Durant says that, that's a wow to me for him to say that publicly to Chris Haynes. Here's the thing, Fitz. I agree. And since the beginning, which I believe was back when it was Spain and Fitz, it might have been Spain and company, but I think you know that since the beginning, I've said this was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't care how dynamic of an offensive trio that guy, that group of guys was going to be when it was Harden, Durant, and Irving. I said, I don't like this personality matchup. I don't like these three guys together. Where is the leadership? Where is the dedication? This just seems like it's going to be a mess. And it's been far worse than I ever predicted, but it's been a complete waste of several years of time for these really talented players. I agree with all of that. But when he says break it up, for whom and how? Because they already tried to. Right, We were convinced this team was breaking up in the offseason, and they could not find the right deal for Kevin Durant. You cannot just say, all right, start over, get rid of KD, and not get right stuff back for him. And that's ultimately why he came back into the fold, because he said, I respected that they were like, hey, man, you are too good for us to give up without getting the right pieces back. I don't know that that's drastically changed this this uh, early in the season. I think that's a really strong point, Sarah, in the sense that 
whatever they were looking for in the summer, they're not going to back off from now. I mean, if they're not getting something that's going to make them at least have a path towards getting to where they want to be as an organization, why would you give up arguably the best player, one of the best three players in the NBA for anything less than fair market value? At the same time, everybody else is going to try and get Kevin Durant for the, for cheap, right? And this is where uh, life isn't a video game. Like you, you, you don't, you're not going to be able to just go in and throw anything and hope that you can fool the computers into uh, the Nets giving up KD for virtually nothing. It. it it gets harder and harder for the Nets to get what they want, which is you know to be a championship-level team on the court. That feels like it's impossible. So now you're sort of stuck. If you can't get fair market value and you can't win a championship, what are you other than just a, a really bad reality? Like, now you're the late seasons of the Kardashians. I said earlier maybe it was real housewives. Now you're the Kardashians that people feel like they just have to watch to see how it ends, but nobody really cares anymore. Like, that feels what they're stuck in purgatory for relevance. And that was some of the content in the interview that I found most interesting was Kevin Durant sort of, in theory, rewriting what he's experiencing as a positive. And you could be critical of that all you want, but he's in it, man. And this is terrible. And this has not been fun for him. And so he's saying, listen, I'm experiencing something different. It's part of everybody's journey being on a team that's struggling. I'm not miserable. I've seen a lot of guys go through this and now I have some perspective on it. I've got, you know, only a certain amount of time and now I'm experiencing everything from the top rookie of the year, all-stars, MVPs, Olympics, and now I'm in the bleep. And if you can rewrite it in your head that way, that's a pretty good perspective to have when you've had to deal with the ups and downs of this franchise and be a part of such a mess. Yeah, even the uh, clear point that he made about the injury and COVID and the times that he wasn't sure if he was going to play anymore and now just finding enjoyment. Like that is, that's what you want for somebody that is trying to find that that peace uh, while they're on the court playing. It will get some breakdown of not only this, but everything going on in the NBA from our buddy Tim Legler going to join us next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. ESPN Radio is presented by, yeah, Progressive Insurance. Progressive offers a great price and round-the-clock protection when bundling home and auto. It's one of those rare times where you could save money and get something great. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Let's talk to our guy, Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst. Legs, I was really fascinated by some of the stuff that Kevin Durant said in that interview that just hit today. And I wonder if you think it makes it more likely that we'll see a trade for Durant this season. Yeah, look, that's that's not a good indicator, and it also doesn't do a lot to create uh, locker room chemistry. So mm-hmm. uh, a situation that's already been, you know, an epic failure uh, at best – and you know has been malcontent at worst. I think has a te- has a chance. Yeah, to just kind of spin off the rails. I, that just doesn't help with your you know credibility as a leader uh, when you kind of take apart the guys you're playing with. That 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 makes it more and more difficult. And I think the frustration will set in, particularly you know with with Kyrie Irving, the uncertainty surrounding Kyrie Irving. Even if you know he comes back, who knows you know how long it'll be until the next thing crops up with Kyrie. Ben Simmons clearly is not a guy that's going to figure this thing out. I mean, this is, I think, now what Ben Simmons is going to be the rest of his career. Um, and so I, Kevin Durant's looking around saying, you know, this is nowhere near what I signed up for. And in his mind, I think his legacy takes a hit the more he loses and doesn't contend 
So that's what those comments are based around. It's frustration, but it, it all it really does is create a lot of fractures in that locker room, and, and eventually something's going to give. When that eventually gives, where do you think the best fit would be for him if he's playing somewhere else? Well, listen, there is no such thing as a bad fit for Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you're talking about a guy that, you know, instantaneously makes you a legitimate title threat if, if you add him, assuming – you know, he's not going to some bottom feeder, but I don't I don't think they would ever do that with Kevin Durant. I think, you know, more than likely he's gonna go to a team that's got some resources that the Nets would want back. You know, when this thing played out over the summer and he demanded to be traded and wanted the head coach and GM out of there as well, you know, to me it was inevitable that eventually this thing was gonna, you know, come to an end. Um so it to, I understand what they were trying to do. They didn't think they were getting value back, he's gonna try to force this guy to honor his contract, but that's just not a, a viable working, you know, relationship going forward when that's the premise under which you start the season. So I, to me, it was never going to be healthy. And so Kevin Durant could go anywhere and maybe Sean Marks, you know, this group sits back and thinks, Hey, you know what? It might've been more wise to get this done in the summer and Kyrie as well. And they wouldn't be dealing with this right now. And they could have got back quite a haul of, of assets, young players and picks going forward. So maybe that's what they do, but I think now it becomes a little bit more of a buyer's market that you've entered this season already. At Legs ESPN is where you can follow him. Uh, my guy Charles Barkley talking during halftime of the TNT broadcast about uh, the Grizzlies and Ja Morant said Morant doesn't make his teammates better. Quote, the next evolution for Ja's. He's got to make the players around him better. I don't think he's added that to his game yet. Um, we've heard his, his teammates in, in a story about the Grizzlies just a week ago, reserves saying he's already learned their tendencies. He knows how to set them up. He's dealing with a limited roster as Jaron Jackson Jr. comes back and a lot of different guys. And I think he does do that. What did you think Chuck is looking at when he says that? Yeah, Chuck's my guy, but I disagree with him on it because I, I do think he makes his teammates better. I think if, if, if Charles Barkley has a valid point, where I have a concern with the Grizzlies and John Moran is, I, have, I think his tendency to want to be the guy to settle matters, you know, every trip, yep. late in games. You know, I think that ultimately can be a, a formula you know, for failure in the postseason because it, be, it becomes predictable as great as he is. And he can certainly, you know, come up with stuff in the air and, and make acrobatic finishes even when you have a loaded lane or a rim protector. You can still make things like that happen. But to do it repeatedly – in big moments through four rounds in the postseason to win a championship, I just think that's asking an awful lot from the point guard position um, and a guy that's, you know, kind of slightly built and he attacks the rim. And to have to do that time and time again as the primary scoring option from the point guard position late, I think that becomes problematic because it's not like the ball's moving through the air the way the Warriors do and relying on Steph Curry. This is a guy who's going to tack off the dribble time and yeah. time and time again in every big moment. So if there is some credibility to what Charles said, I think it's that. I think late game needs to be a little different. But I don't think he is a guy who would be guilty of not making his teammates better. I think I think he does it with his vision. I think he does it with just his presence and the pressure he puts on defenses creates opportunities for other guys because of the way he gets loaded up on. Even if it's not an assist for him, he's created the opportunity by drawing multiple defenders. So I don't think... I think that's going too far to say he doesn't do it, but I do think they need to have more balanced late game. I'd say the same thing about the Dallas Mavericks with Luka. I, I think that's a very difficult way 
to settle matters off a live dribble time and time again in big moments. I, eventually, you know, you're, you're going to get fatigued and, and you're going to come up short in that situation yeah. and teams really know who's going to shoot the ball. It becomes easier to defend. And I would say quickly, the only other thing I think supports maybe what Chuck is saying, and maybe he's even remembering back in the days of his own teams or, or the Jordan days, but uh, the team is this year and overall 500 when Ja has 35 plus. And I think sometimes when you see that, it means that teams are too dependent on that star in those games like that. So um, I think your point is the right one. Yeah, but let me ask you this, like, because this is what's always confusing to me. When you got Ja, you got one of the best players in the NBA. Yet you're sitting on a team that right now is okay, not great. If you're the GM of Memphis, what do you do right now to make this team a champion contender? Yeah, I think that they're they're a team first of all that I think you know they they've got to be um, a little bit more balanced in terms of the guys that can shoot the ball off of him and when it comes. I think a lot of what they do is improvisational. I don't know that they they have guys that really totally know exactly when you know they're going to get shots based on the rhythm of their offense. So I think I think you know every team could add more shooting, but when you have a guy like John Morant, I just think it's it's paramount to have guys that can beat you from all over the floor from deep when you play a guy like that that's constantly in lane, constantly downhill, forcing defenses to retreat to the paint. Um, they're an okay shooting team. They're very streaky. Desmond Bain obviously is a guy that, that that is their primary perimeter player, but beyond that, I think they're very inconsistent and very streaky in that regard. So, um, yeah, listen, it's tough to do it to get thirty a night playing his style with the amount of contact he gets, the amount of you know times he has to get downhill to try to finish at the rim. To me. It's just tough sledding to, to do that night in, night out over 82 and end up a top four seed in the West and then win three rounds when you are playing the best teams in the league at that point in the season. I think that's the ultimate answer for, for John Morant. You know, can, can he do that, or does he eventually get frustrated over if he has a couple more postseason failures where that team doesn't get to the conference finals or the finals? Does he start to adapt and maybe realize, you know what, maybe 24-10 and 10, is a better stat line for me than 30 and six. And, and we become a little bit more difficult to defend. Maybe that's the next step for him. Tim Legler's with us here on Spain and Fitz talking NBA, our ESPN NBA analyst. Blazers 10 and four. This is not the expected start for them. Am I going out on a limb too far to say that they're an example of what it looks like when you construct a team instead of just putting a bunch of stars together? Or do you think this is a, a mirage and, and, and not balanced enough to, to be sustainable? Well, it's, it's, it's certainly not a giant sample size, but I also think I don't need to see a team play, you know, 30, 40 games. I mean, I, I've seen them enough to, to think, you know what, this is sustainable. Maybe not, a, maybe not at this, quite at this winning percentage, but I don't think this is a team that just got out of the gate quick, you know, and they, and they, and they snuck up on some people early. I don't think you're going to see them level off. Uh, I've been very impressed with what they're getting right now. And they, they've added some guys that can defend on, on the perimeter for them, which is, which they're, I think for me, their biggest Achilles heel when I watched them the last several years, you knew that Lillard and McCollum are going to do their thing, but they had a very difficult time stopping people when they needed to. And they weren't taken seriously on that end. That, that seems to be changing. Um, and look, give Chauncey Billups a lot of credit because a year ago, I think a lot of people were questioning, like, was this the right move by the, on the part of the Blazers? They had a long year. I know they dealt with injuries, but you just never really saw them hit their stride. And now you come back year two, and, and he's got these guys playing with a lot of confidence. They look like they've got great chemistry. They clearly are buying into him. 
his personality type as a leader, and that's half the battle in the NBA. If you get guys to believe in you as a leader, then then now you know the talent's pretty comparable across the league. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, it's 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 just gelling, and I don't think this is going away. I think that Portland, to me, is legitimately a good team. I think Utah is a legitimately good team. Cleveland, like these are teams that are not just good stories. I think these guys are turning into good teams that are going to make it interesting and make a little bit of noise in their respective conferences. Certainly a changing of the tide here with mm. the NBA in terms of stars and teams to watch. Tim, always appreciate the insight. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Anytime. Yeah, appreciate it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Always love chatting with Tim Legler. Coming up, we'll close out the show with lots of stories and not a lot of time. You know what we'll be doing. Quickies next. Quickies, Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I can't wait to see the Swifties take down Ticketmaster. It's happening. People are mad about not getting those tickets in those long lines. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We uh, quickly have to clean up a little bit of a question that we asked y'all earlier in the show. There are some reports that there might be six feet of snow in Buffalo for the game this weekend. It's not likely, but it's fun to imagine. And so we asked you in the past what the craziest weather game is that you've been to. And we got some good ones, Fitz. Angry Bears fan Dadman went to a Falcons-Bears Sunday Night Football in 2005 Beer turned to ice. Butt cheeks welded together. Michael Vick and his prime couldn't function in the cold. Plus nine at kickoff. Number one with, or minus one with wind chill. And the Bears defense led the way to victory. So love that one. Uh, I have a similar one. This was the night that they retired Mike Ditka's number at halftime. Before the game, he looks like a popsicle and he yells, Go Bears! With a frozen <laughs> fist in the air. It was actually even colder than the one that Angry Bears fan Dadman just mentioned. Uh, it was an eight degree game with a minus nine wind chill and my beer froze no way my beer the alcohol that's not supposed to freeze was frozen so i could turn it upside down and it ended up on the front page of reddit and on all these blogs it was absolutely insanely freezing what about you that is that is crazy so i was just thinking about my childhood and like iconic moments that i watched you know like because i haven't been to that many crazy weather scenario games but I will say that, like, my favorite weird weather watching moment actually is one that involves your team. Like, the Fog Bowl, the, the oh, playoff yeah. game, like, Chicago and Philly, it was crazy at the time because watching the broadcast, they were just doing their best to tell you what was happening, but they obviously couldn't see the action on the field. And right. half the time you'd wait and, like, you'd see a, a player run into frame and then out of frame. They had no real way to televise it with any efficiency. It was a crazy moment. That one was, that's a famous, yeah. That's, like, a, one of the biggest of all time, of course, that one. That's the one everybody knows. Um, we had some other ones. This one definitely no one knows about. Football game at Queens U in Kingston, Ontario. Snow so deep, the team begged the crowd to bring snow shovels so the game could be played. Students ran home, got them. The game was started on time. The no alcohol rule was waived. It was a win-win. Uh, that's a good one from George. Uh, B. Bison 724, a 94 Packers-Bears games retiring Butkus Sayers numbers. Butkus and Sayers numbers. Temps in the 30s, 40-mile-per-hour winds, freezing rain that felt like BBs hitting your face. And the Packers won 33 to six. Another, a lot of Bears fans answering this. It's been cold a lot. Uh, Someone just described a Texans Bears from 2012 and said, F that place. This is triggering as a response (laughs) to us, making him think about it. Uh, Gord 93 went to a Yankees game that ended at 3.30 a.m. and had to drive friends home afterwards, uh, which uh, that's a rough one. And then finally, 
Chatty 8 or 20, we're driving from Cleveland to Buffalo for the game this weekend. Not sure what our problem is. Nothing suggests this is a good idea. Oh, man. Uh, and by the way, uh, speaking of all this cold weather and bad weather, Central Michigan, Western Michigan tied at seven in a snowy matchup where they've actually had to bring out the shovels to uh, yes. make sure that everybody can see the lines on the field. So, you know, Amazing. we're already getting a little, Good little taste of it in that, that juggernaut uh, Michigan uh, matchup that everybody's got their eyes on. Uh, I've got some flurries here in Chicago today, so we're going to start having a lot of these games. Oh, we got full-on snow last night in Connecticut. Like, I was driving, I was like, what is Is it? Oh, it's snowing. There we go. It's snowing. Uh, We got to run through some stuff before the show ends, and when we have too many stories and not enough time, it's time for Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. You heard the Taylor Swift at the top of this segment and fits my social media feeds from every single team to every single person was about trying to get Taylor Swift tickets and live nation and Ticketmaster somehow didn't expect the kind of demand they got, which is insane due to her popularity. Uh, and the site was shutting down. People were waiting for hours. And of course, not surprisingly, Plenty of people who did get tickets are now trying to sell them for ridiculous amounts. I imagine those numbers will come down a little farther away. They just want to see who's crazy enough to get them. But, man, it makes me think that Taylor Swift could start a whole different ticket master and immediately start competing. Well, and, and several years ago, Bruno Mars played a show in Hawaii, and they realized the day that that show sold out that they looked at the numbers and nobody that had gotten tickets to that show through Ticketmaster were actually on the island. And so he went out and did a Mm -hmm. second show, added a second show, and made a local area or zip code part of the requirement to buy with a credit card. I think more and more artists are going to look at systems that actually ensure fans can get, local fans can get tickets to local concerts. Because until they actually put a system in place, you're always going to have somebody out there trying to buy a ton of these tickets to sell them for a ton of money. And that's, like, I understand the business side of it. not always going to fix it because the the Predators tried to do that a lot when Blackhawks fans would come in town all the time. Right. And... It didn't always work. We could still get them, but it at least slowed things down a little bit. Right. It made it a little bit easier for local. Anything to get you it. can do to at least help with the process. Yeah. Is, is... I mean, I'm 100% going to Taylor's show here. I just am one of those people that's willing to wait till the last minute and then wait for somebody to get desperate and buy them. Uh, all right, next story. Quickies. As we prep for the World Cup, there are a lot of really terrible stories to cover and certainly worth covering uh, so much of what's going on in Qatar and why it's so fraught. But there's also some good stories. And one of those is Ted Lasso inspirational billboards going up in the hometowns of the members of the U.S. men's national team. This is such a delight. All over the U.S., support for players. Uh, for instance, this one in St. Louis for forward Josh Sargent, who grew up in uh, in Missouri. Josh, being from the great town of O'Fallon, you must have... Uh, hold on, it just cut out. You must have been a natural for you to pursue soccer. Officially, you looked destiny in the old factory bulb and said, okay, I'm going to make my soccer dreams my main objective. And boy, oh boy, you sure did. You're about to occupy the world's biggest pitch with the USMT and obtain some wins. While everyone's in O'Fallon and I are just going to be overjoyed to see you have a good old time out there and obliterate the competition over the moon with the excitement, Ted O'Lasso. 
right? Yep. So we've got all the puns on his hometown. There's a whole series of them. They're in the yellow with the blue, like the believe sign. They're really cool fits. Yeah, and a huge statement to the cultural icon that Ted Lasso's become. How many yes. people are suddenly finding themselves wanting to watch soccer because they watch Ted Lasso? Like, I, it's one of the most amazing things that I can remember from entertainment actually uh, pouring over and creating fandom and something. And we talked about it when, you know, we, we got the news that he was going to be included in the video game. Uh, you know, and th- there's just this moment of like, it is big. It's larger than life at this point. Yeah. I mean, I got Coach Beard to deliver a video message to the Red Stars before their season started, which Ooh. is better than a billboard. But, you know, not everybody can have the hookup. Like Hashtag that. humble brag. That's right. Next story. Quickies. Justin Fields, speaking of humble brags, FedEx Ground Player of the Week. Now, you might say, of course, just another award for Fields. I'm not surprised. He's been absolutely fantastic and just destroying the competition, making it fun to watch uh, a 3-7 and seven team because you just never know what he's going to do next. But this is particularly interesting, Fitz, because it's a it's a uh, award that usually goes to running backs. In fact, Justin Fields is only the third non-running back ever to win Ground Player of the Week since it's 2019 and the first quarterback to win this year so crushing it yeah he is crushing it but it's a reminder that it's all about the ground because like it's not about his passing numbers but still you are Who's a he thousand throw to? Uh, and so you are a thousand and percent behind right. what line you are a thousand percent right i got nothing but love for the way they're Don't finding their quarterback i'm just being that, that troll garbage into this troll. okay next story quickies Candace Parker said she's going to return for a 16th WNBA season. This is good for a number of reasons. One, we love her. Two, she's great. She finished last season first team all WNBA, so she's still a tremendous player. And also, the Sky were absolutely terrible in their last game, and they gave up an 0-18 run, so that cannot be her last game in the league. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.